Let's get into the word. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14 for our study this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Happy Labor Day weekend. Hope you're enjoying your extra time off. And Anybody going down to the balloon liftoff? Anybody there this morning? All right, all five of you, Lord bless you. I'm hoping to go tomorrow morning, so it should be fun. Let's pray together. Father, we want to acknowledge your presence, that you're with us. And God, we've come to study your word, but even more than that, we've come to draw near to you, to to fellowship with you, to be personal with you, God. So we just ask that you would bless this time. We know that you promised to be with us, but would you manifest your presence to us, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. We pray through the life of Jonathan this morning that we would be inspired to take steps of faith, to really put into action the things that you have told us to do. And God, we pray for a great work in our lives, a great work in our city, in our country, Lord, that there would be a real awakening. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at contrast. I think that contrast is one of the best ways to be able to learn. You really understand what good is by being able to look at evil. We're going to look at a father-son combo. We've entitled this series, Kings and Sons, because First and Second Samuel has several kings and sons. And in this chapter, we've got King Saul, and he's going bad. He's, he's going off of the rails, uh, if you would. But we also find his son, Jonathan, and Jonathan's really pressing in to the Lord, pressing into the things of God, and takes this radical step of faith. So I hope that you enjoy this contrast between Saul and Jonathan this morning, and there's a lot that we can learn. Now, it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. If you remember last week from chapter 13, it's a very dark season for the children of Israel. The Philistines have come to attack them. This huge multitude, this huge army that can't even be numbered. Saul feels the pressure. He's waiting for Samuel. Samuel doesn't show up on time. What did he do? He offered the burnt offering. He stepped into the role of the priest. Samuel says, because of your action, God has rejected you as king. Only two swords in all of Israel. Jonathan has one. Saul has one. There's no blacksmith. They're literally facing a huge army with farming tools. Jonathan is sitting in the midst of this terrible situation. His dad's going off the hook having a difficult time spiritually, has just compromised in a a great way. He looks over to his armor bearer. There would be a young man that would be assigned to a great warrior like Jonathan, the king's son. And he's saying, let's go and attack this garrison of Philistines. Just you and me. Let's go see what God would do today. Let's take an action of faith. And if you're taking notes this morning, this is the first thing to consider about Jonathan is he's a man that would take action. Actions of faith. James put it this way, and he said that without works, our faith is dead. It doesn't mean that we're saved by works, but works are evidence of the fact that we have faith in God. It's alive and active. 
If you really believe something, you're going to act upon it. In the same way, Jonathan, he believed in the Lord and his character, so now he's going to act upon it. And a lot of things I think that we desire for God to do in and through our lives, it's really waiting for a step of faith. God's already said it in his word. This is already what he's declared that he cares about and how he's directed us in our lives. And so when we respond to that with action, we we put action with that faith, then we begin to see God work. I hope in my life and in this church and in your life personally that you have your own testimonies of steps of faith. Because it's one thing to read about it in Jonathan's life, to hear about it from George Mueller's life, this, this great man of God, It's one thing to hear it in our parents' life if you grew up in a Christian home, but it's a whole nother thing to have your own story, to have your own testimony of faith of saying, man, I choose to walk in faith, to put to action the things that the Lord has called me to. And I think that's when the Christian life gets really exciting. That's when we're on this adventure with the Lord. What's Saul doing with his sword in verse two? And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600. He's compromised. He's just been told that he's not gonna be king. And it seems like he's completely just disengaged, disconnected, giving up. Here he has his sword and he's sitting on his sword literally underneath this pomegranate tree. I think there's a lot of things that we can relate to 1 Samuel from the spiritual condition that we find in our culture. And it's easy for us to get discouraged, to get disengaged, to get disenchanted, and in a sense, just kind of punt and and give up and say, well, I'm gonna take my sword, the word of God, and I'm gonna just sit underneath a, a pomegranate tree. And you look at Saul and you go, man, this is just lousy, isn't it? There's a part of you that says, come on, Saul, be a man of action. Join with your son. You shouldn't be just sitting underneath this pomegranate tree with your sword. We have New Testament truths and Old Testament pictures of those truths. So what's the sword a picture of? The word of God. And the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. So we're left with this contrast. Am I going to be like Jonathan and use the word of God? Or am I going to be like Saul and simply sit upon the word of God? In verse 3, Ahijah, the son of Ahatub, I mean Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest was wearing an ephod, but the people didn't know that Jonathan had gone. The ephod was given to the high priest, and as you study in more detail in the Old Testament, it was through the ephod that God would direct his people But yet God chose to not reveal to the priests that Jonathan had gone. Why did Jonathan go in privacy, in secrecy? Why didn't he tell his dad that he was taking this venture of faith? Because he knew the heart condition of Saul. He knew that Saul would discourage him, that Saul wouldn't understand. And as you take steps of faith, you have to be careful who you share it with. Even sometimes among God's people, because well-intending believers will sometimes try to talk you out of very clear steps of faith. Why would you do that? If you go up and attack those Philistines, you're going to die. There's no good reason for for you to do that. Why would you care for the widow and the orphan? Why would you give of of your resources? Why would you take the time to be at church on on Labor Day weekend? You're you're crazy. You're you're out of your mind. So you have to be careful who you share with. You want to share with the right people. In verse 4, between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, 
there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. He's going to have to climb up this rock fortress to be able to get to this Philistine garrison. And the name of the one was Boses, and the name of the other was Senna. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Who does Jonathan share with? There's six. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. What got Jonathan to the place that he would go attack this Philistine garrison? It was his curiosity. Maybe God would do this. He doesn't know that God's going to bring about a victory, that God's going to bring salvation for the children of Israel, but he knows it's a possibility. God may do this. May the Holy Spirit right now awaken our spiritual curiosity. Are you curious what God might do in our church this morning, in the days, in the, the weeks to come? If you're married and you have kids, are you curious what God might do in your marriage? Do you think it has to be status quo, mundane? It's got to be this process of drifting to the point where you're just roommates or worse? Do you think God could do something supernatural where it reflects Christ and the church? Do we have an awakened curiosity when it comes to the sense of our kids? Do we believe that God could do great things in and through his life? Do we believe that, that God loves them? Do we have awakened curiosity for our friends and our family? Sometimes we pray for our friends and family so long we don't really anticipate that God may do something radical in their lives. And in fact, we anticipate the exact opposite. We go, Man, I don't think they'll ever get saved. I don't think their hearts will ever be softened. Do we have a sense of anticipation of what God could do in our country? When things get dark spiritually, that's when the light shines all the brightest. When there's persecution upon God's church, that's when God's church begins to flourish. What could God do? And that's what's filled in Jonathan's heart is the spiritual curiosity. Maybe God will work for us. Maybe God wants to, to do something because... The Lord is not restrained. And I want to focus in on that. Read that with me. He says, For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So Jonathan, if you're taking notes, he's got actions of faith, but it comes from understanding. That's the second thing to focus on with Jonathan. Understanding. And what does he understand? That nothing restrains the Lord. Here Jonathan is extremely limited. He has one sword. He's got his armor bearer. That's it. They're outnumbered. His dad is just compromised in such a significant way. It would have been so easy for Jonathan to go, man, my dad's a wreck. He's causing trouble for everyone. There's no hope for me. I'm limited by the situation that I'm in. Maybe you feel that way. You're like, man, if you knew my parents, if you know what my dad was like, what my mom was like, there's no hope for me. See how Jonathan could have sat in that? His dad's just completely in the wrong direction at this point, but it doesn't stop Jonathan from serving the Lord. Nothing restrains the Lord. God can save by many or by few. Aren't you thankful that God's not limited by our limitations? 
when we look at difficulty, a lot of times we go, what do we have to bring to the situation? What resources do we have to bring to the situation? What abilities do we have to bring to the situation? And that's not what Jonathan's looking at. He's looking at the fact that nothing restrains the Lord. There's no limitations upon God. And for us to to see our situation, to see our difficulty through the lens of who God is. How come God's not restrained? Let's consider a few things. Well, God's the creator of the universe. He spoke all things into existence. That gives him a huge leg up on nothing being able to limit him. Amen? Amen. Also, he's the God of the resurrection. Jesus died for our sins and rose again. He's defeated sin and death. Nothing limits the Lord. He's the God of all eternity. God has no beginning point and no ending point. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He inhabits eternity. So nothing restrains the Lord. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's all-loving. We could go on and on about nothing restraining the Lord. Church, I think this is the key for us. When we really look at what does it mean to live a life of faith, it comes from an understanding of who God is, that nothing restrains him. Verse seven, I absolutely love this. So his armor bearers said to him, do all that's in your heart. Go then, here I am with you, according to your heart. I think it's more difficult to be in the position of the armor bearer than Jonathan, because Jonathan's getting stirred. Jonathan's got the spiritual curiosity going. He's beginning to see a vision of what God could do in defeating the Philistines. The armor bearer hasn't necessarily considered those things. His curiosity hasn't been stirred in in that way. He's just along for the ride. It's not in his heart. But he's able to support something that's in Jonathan's heart. And this is the third thing to consider when it comes to steps of faith and its support. Actions of faith, understanding of who God is, but it takes support. God always desires to work by sending out teams usually teams of two. He sent the disciples out in two. In the book of Acts, they often went out in teams of two. Doesn't need to be a large team. God can save by many. He can save by few. It it doesn't matter to the Lord. He is not limited. But when God desires to do a work, he wants to do it through a team of people. It's dangerous for us to be alone, isn't it? It's dangerous to try, try to serve the Lord alone. Gang, I gotta tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to be this kind of person, this armor bearer, and I want us to be this kind of church. When other believers come around us and they say, you know what, the Holy Spirit's really been getting a hold of me, and I feel like I'm supposed to do this, that we wouldn't then have the gift of pessimism, that we wouldn't then respond in such a way to go, you know what, that is, there's, we should not be doing that. You should not even be considering that. You should not be praying about that you're pretty much smoking crack, you know? (laughs) We want to be the kind of church when a brother or sister comes along with a vision from God, that God is stirring them that says, you know what? I'm with you. Do all that's in your heart. And notice the way that the armor bearer was with them. He didn't say, you know, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you go and do that? And if you swim and it goes great, I'll be your best friend. But if you sink, I'm going to pretend like I never knew you, right? It's a lot easier to say, well, let me pray for you and we'll see how that works out. But the armor bearer is personally invested to the point where his life is completely at risk. These kind of individuals are very rare 
And Jonathan has a wonderful armor bearer that says, I'm all in. I will be with you and let's do everything that's in your heart, even though it wasn't in his heart. Verse 8, then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand and this will be a sign to us. This is very important in stepping out in faith is to have openness for God's leading. That's what Jonathan is declaring here. We're gonna go reveal ourselves to these guys. How do you think that Jonathan and the armor bearer revealed themselves to the garrison? They probably said, how you sissies doing up there, right? These are their enemies. Looks like the princesses are doing well with their tea, you know? They, hey guys, how you doing? They initiate some contact with, with the enemy. And if the Philistines said, why don't you guys come up here? Then that would be a sign that God indeed is calling them to take on this garrison of soldiers, even though it's two men. But if they say, wait there, we'll come to you, then that was an indicator that God was closing the door. I've got to be honest with you. I think this is a very difficult process in stepping out in faith is to remain open to what God would do. Because once that curiosity is awakened, there's an opportunity that you start praying about. You take actions of faith. You're hoping that God would open the door. That's the way I am. I'm hoping that God would open the door. For some reason, the Lord's allowed me to get a picture, get a taste of what things could be like. And then I need to be open to the fact of God saying, nope, this door is completely closed. Because if God's not in it, then it's the point where we need to trust him and say, okay, Lord. God tells us in his word that he opens doors that nobody can close, and he closes doors that no one can open. We need to be willing to accept those closed doors. And it happens. I guarantee you, if you say, I want to live a life of faith, there's going to be times where you take actions of faith, there's an understanding that God could work in this situation. There's support. There's people that rally behind you and you get to the very door and you knock on the door and it's like, can't get it open. Can't get it open. The harder I knock, it won't open. And at that point you realize, okay, God, you've closed the door. We want to walk through the doors that he opens. Verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have, have hidden. Then the men of the garrisons called to Jonathan, his armor bearer, and said, come up to us and we will show you something. There it is. Biblical trash talk right there. <laughs> Who knew that trash talk was biblical? Why don't you guys come on up here and we'll, we'll teach you Sally's a few things, you know? Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of the Philistines. That's all that Jonathan needed to hear. It was a sign that God indeed was in this. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his knees with his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan and as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. They had to climb up climb up this rock face on their hands and on their knees. In walking in faith, we will get to a place where it's difficult. There's actions of faith, there's understanding, there's support, there's openness to God closing the door, but then there's difficulty. 
Have you experienced this in your life? God called you to something, you're on this journey of faith, and you get to the point where it's just downright difficult. You're on your hands, you're on your knees, sometimes quite literally in prayer. You're on your hands and knees in prayer saying, God, would you show yourself faithful in this particular situation? You feel like giving up. Every step of faith, every journey of faith that God has ever had me on has always gotten to this place of difficulty. It gets much more difficult than I ever would have anticipated. All of the excitement goes away. The curiosity at this point is not what you're thinking about. You're going, wow, there's some burn here. There's some pain here. I didn't realize that it was going to be like this. And there's thoughts of, did I hear this right? Was this a good idea? Maybe I should have been hanging out with dad, having some fruit, having some pomegranates. But instead, I'm in this place where I'm climbing this rock face. And that's when we have to have endurance, patience, continue forward. If we don't endure that moment of difficulty, we'll never enter into the victory. Never enter into God doing, doing his work. You never know how long it's going to last. Sometimes the, the difficulty lasts for months, years. Sometimes it's days. Lord, you've called me. You opened the door. I asked for a sign. You opened it up. So I'm just going to keep climbing. I'm going to keep going. And that's what he does. And then he gets to the top of the mountain. Here's the garrison. And God begins to give him victory. And the Philistines begin to fall. What is Jonathan using to strike the Philistines? He's using his sword. New Testament truths, Old Testament pictures. As we walk in faith, what's our weapon? It's the word of God. We need to use the word of God in order to see victory. If we're sharing with people, we want to share the word of God. We want to be prepared with the word of God to invest into their hearts and in their lives. A lot of times it's not like, okay, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel 14 and I will share God's word with you, right? It's not like that a lot of times. You're in relationship with someone and they begin to open up about their life and you begin to very naturally be able to share with them who Jesus is and what God's word has to say about that particular situation. But the victory comes through the word of God. God honors his word even above his, his very name. We want to know God's word, be praying God's word, using God's word. When we're facing temptation in our lives, when we're in spiritual battle, the strength is in the word of God. Jesus, as he was tempted by Satan in his earthly ministry, he quoted the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. There's power in the word of God. This is one of my most favorite stories in all of the Bible. It's one of my most favorite visual pictures that, that I can think of is Jonathan standing there with his armor bearer behind him, and Jonathan is swinging both ways with his sword. I love that. That like just awakens the man inside of me. It's like, Lord, help me to be a warrior for you. And ladies, you can be a warrior for the Lord as well. Grab your sword and swing it both ways. Go for it. Or you can be like Saul where you're sitting on your sword. We know the word. We're experts in the word. We've memorized the word, but we're not using the word of God. The power is in using it. Get it out. Share it with people. Pray it over your family. Use it in those times of temptation and the enemy will fall. And here's the armor bearer. He just gets to finish things off. Now again, my curiosity goes, how did he kill the Philistines? Because Jonathan's got the sword. There's only two swords. The armor bearer doesn't even have a sword. 
So I picture a big stick or something, and he's just come bopping him on the head. You know, bam, 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 you're done. Some of you ladies are like, this is entirely too bloody for me. It's going to get a little bit worse, just to warn you. Verse 14, the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. Remember, these are the enemies of Israel. These are those Philistines that are attacking the Israelites And God gives a victory where 20 men fall by the hand of Jonathan and his armor bearer at about half an acre. A half an acre is about two city lots. That's about the average size of a half acre. The house that I grew up in in Southern Oregon was was a half acre. It was a little bit larger than a normal uh, city lot. It's maybe the size of, a little bit smaller than the size of of this room. So this is compact. This is hand-to-hand combat. In verse 15, and there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. Now we see the supernatural hand of God. So you follow in the progression. It's an action of faith. There's an understanding of who God is. There's support. There's openness. There's endurance during difficulty. There's using the weapon, the sword. But then the most important part is God shows up and does the supernatural. And that's what we're trusting in actions of faith. Lord, that you would come and you would cause the earth to quake, that you would bring a trembling in my life, that you would bring a trembling in my family, that you would bring a trembling in this church, a trembling in this community. It may look something like this. God, I know that our marriage isn't going the direction that you would desire it to be. And instead of just allowing it to continue this way, I'm going to begin to pray over my marriage and act in the way that will glorify and honor you. You're taking an action of faith. You're trusting in in who God is. And then God shows up and he begins to do a work that only he can do. Maybe it's a personal struggle with sin. Maybe it's anger. The Christian life is not just trying to do better. I hope you know that. You can try behavior modification. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. And then I'm so angry at just trying to not get angry, right? I'm the most irritated person on the planet. Yet fixated in upon my sin. Or it could go something like this is, God, I know who you are. I know your ability to work in my life. I know what your word has to say about anger. I'm going to memorize a few verses And in those points of temptation, I'm going to run to you and quote your word. And all of a sudden, God does a work in our hearts and our lives. He begins to transform our character. We have these moments with with people. The conversation is beginning to take place. And we can then begin to decide what we're going to do. A lot of times for me, it, it, it happens when people ask me, what do you do? And there's a part of me sometimes that, I go, well, I'm a teacher, because if I tell them I'm a pastor, they start acting really weird. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a pastor. You know, I better, I better change, you know, what, what I'm saying. But it, you know, so sometimes I will do that. I'll say, well, I'm a teacher. Well, what do you teach? Well, I teach the Bible. I'm, I'm a pastor. And then that, that happened this week where I was talking with a guy, and it was that moment in the conversation, and I could either back away from it, or I could follow what I felt like the Spirit was doing in the midst of that conversation. That's a step of faith. Okay, Lord, I, I feel an open door here. You're doing something, and I'm going to go ahead and speak the things of Christ. I'm going to speak the, the Word of God, 
And then we're praying that God would do what only he can do and cause the earthquake. Now that's up to the Lord. And sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. There's a lot of steps of faith that doesn't seem like the earth ever quaked. I took that step of faith and it was as dead as a doornail. Well, that's up to the Lord. Who knows? It may be a seed that is going to come to fruition later on. But many times as the Lord deems it necessary, then he'll move and he'll do the supernatural. In verse 16, now we see the contrast with Saul. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was a multitude melting away, and they went here or there. The Philistines begin to melt away when this earthquake takes place. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they'd called roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. (laughs) Doesn't this seem like a terrible time for roll call? The enemy is finally on their heels. Come on, guys, let's go. It's time. And Saul's like, well, we better find out who's missing. It's time to take attendance. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise, which was in the camp of the Philistines, continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled And they went to the battle, and indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was great confusion. God caused the Philistines to turn on each other. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before the time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. There were Israelites who had joined the camp of the Philistines. When they saw the action of faith and saw God working, they returned to join the Israelites. Church, this is what happens when we begin to walk with God. We're just in love with the Lord, following what he would have us to do, and other Christians start to go, wow, that looks attractive. I've been in the camp of the enemy. I've been in the camp of compromise, but now I want to follow the Lord. Verse 22, likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim When they heard the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. Those that had been hiding in holes and caves and underneath hay, they were now emboldened to join the fight. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that began to happen amongst the church, the body of Christ as a whole? That believers just awoken, believers were alive unto Jesus Christ, believers were reaching out, and all of a sudden that stirs us on to say, Why have I been hiding? Why have I been living in fear? Why am I not using the sword that the Lord has has given me? So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth Haven. What's Saul doing? And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening. Before I have taken vengeance on my enemies, so none of the people tasted food. Saul, as the king, should be relieving burdens and stress from the people. That's what good leaders do. That's what servant leaders do. But instead, what was Saul doing? He was creating distress. He was creating burdens. He says, look, guys, you can't eat anything until evening. That's going to cause his warriors to become very faint. It's still all about Saul. He says, until I have taken vengeance on my enemies. He's got an eye problem, a selfishness problem, a pride problem. 
Now all the people of the land came to the forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father's charge the people with the oath. Therefore he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb and put it to his mouth. And his countenance was brightened. I picture this moment just completely going slow motion. They all come into the forest. They've been fighting and they're warriors and they see some honey and they're just watching it drip. Oh, that would be so good right now. I would raise my blood sugar. Here comes Jonathan that doesn't know anything. He gets his rod and he dips it in and the guys are watching him. And he's no, right? And it happens. He eats the honey and then they're, the one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land, but now how my countenance has brightened because I've tasted a little of this honey. My dad is a trouble to the land. I think it takes some courage for Jonathan just to be able to admit this. Admit this about the king, admit this about his dad. Jonathan describes his father well. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of the enemies which they found. For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter amongst the Philistines. Now they'd driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Hydron, so the people were faint. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves, slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. So now this gets really gross, doesn't it? You thought it was bad before. These guys are so hungry, they kill these animals and they just start eating them without cooking them, without draining the blood. Happy Labor Day, happy barbecuing. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a stone to me this day. Deuteronomy chapter 12 says that they were to drain the blood before they were to eat because the life is in the blood. Our meat today, when you go to the store and you buy it at the grocery store, the, the blood has been drained out of it. And for Israel, they were sinning against God by doing this. Then Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep, slaughter them here and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he had built to the Lord. So Saul says, let's get a big stone. Let's start butchering these animals, bleeding them out properly before we eat them then Saul chooses to build an altar and worship. And to me, though this may seem good, that Saul is building an altar to worship, it shows to me the lack of priority of worship in his life, that we get this far in his journey, and this is the first altar that he had built to the Lord. And we've got to ask the question, we've got to stop and wonder, what's going on in his life in this area of worship? We still haven't seen genuine repentance for offering the burnt offering. We don't see any responsibility from, John, from Saul, excuse me, in saying, I troubled the people. I put them in this situation, like causing them to take this oath that they wouldn't eat. The difference with David is worship is a priority in his life. 
He longed for the presence of God. This was what he chose to do, was to be all about worshiping the Lord, but it doesn't seem like worship is a priority in Saul's life. Now, now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. It seems like they're just following Saul because he has the position, because he has the authority. But that's the only reason. The priest said, let us draw near to God here. The priests want to take some time to draw near to God. So Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. God doesn't give an answer to Saul. Again, I think that Saul's just interested in counsel, but not relationship and obedience. He's not seeking the Lord because he wants relationship and genuine obedience. He just wants to know if he's going to have continued victory over the Philistines. God's silent. So Saul knows something's up. He knows there's a problem. And Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what the sin was today. For the Lord lives who saves Israel. Though it be Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. I think that Saul has an indication that Jonathan was probably the one who broke this oath. In verse 40, it says, Then he said to all of Israel, You be on one side, my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems best to you, O king. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast a lot between my son, Jonathan, and me, so Jonathan was taken. So the casting of Lot was to indicate who was the one who was in sin. Was it someone in the multitude of Israel? Then the Lot would land there. So ultimately, the Lot falls upon Jonathan. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand, so now I must die. It was me. I must die. Saul answered and said, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. Isn't this amazing? Is this just? Jonathan didn't even hear. It wasn't a willful disobedience by Jonathan. Saul is multiplying foolishness with foolishness without owning any of his own sin in the equation. Don't you think that Saul would have said, oh, I was so stupid. I should have never done this in the first place. If there should be anybody that should die today, this, this is me. I was the one that put everyone in this situation, even my own son, but he's so quick to say, ah, off with his head. Well, go, Jonathan, you've, you've got to die today. Not to mention that the whole victory had come through the hand of Jonathan. God had used the hand of Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die, who's accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he didn't die. People say, this is enough. Jonathan's not going to be the one who dies today. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So we have an end of this particular victory and a great contrast between Saul and Jonathan. We'll cl quickly look at the end of this chapter here. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all of his enemies. The enemies are listed there. 
in verse 47, verse 48, and he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. We see his sons in verse 49, the name of his wife in verse 50, and in verse 52, the chapter ends, now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or valiant man, he took him for himself. God is using Saul. Saul is defeating the enemies of Israel, but Saul's not right with the Lord. We see this several times in scripture. Being used by the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that we're right with the Lord. Saul ends the chapter continuing to act in selfishness. Any valiant, strong man he took for himself, he took for his army. This is exactly what Samuel said the king would do. The king's going to take the best for himself. So as we wrap up and prepare to head on with our day, what are the applications for us? As we look at this story of Jonathan and this story of Saul, I want you to take a moment with the Holy Spirit. God is here. If you're a believer, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ said that he would be in the midst of his church where two or three gathered. He's in our midst. And what steps of faith, actions of faith, is God calling you to? Are you at the beginning of that process and your curiosity is getting awakened to what God could do? Are you right in the middle of the difficulty? You've been walking this path of faith for a while and your hands are bloody, your knees are bloody, you're scaling up the rock face and you feel like giving up? Is the enemy upon you in this journey and you're wondering, how do I stand? What weapon has, has been given to me? But this is the truth of it, is God has saved us, he's filled us with his spirit and he wants to take us on this great adventure of steps of faith. And sometimes it's a step of faith in the grocery store. You might be heading to the grocery store right after this. Walmart over here, or King Supers, or Natural Grocers, or Trader Joe's, or Costco, or Sam's Club. There's a lot of great options, right? <laughs> Start to see it a little bit differently. God's doing something in the grocery store that's a little bit bigger than my cart. And a lot of times I can't see beyond my cart. So stressful. So many people. Take all the kids to the grocery store, and man, it's super stressful, right? It's hard to see beyond that, but God, God's doing something. Drive home in your apartment complex, in your neighborhood. Start to see it a little bit differently. Get in the car with your friends, your family. If you came with others, start to see it a little bit differently. If you go down to the Balloon Classic at Memorial Park, the thing they call it Labor Day liftoff now, look at it a little bit differently. Maybe there's someone that's sitting off by themselves and start talking to them. That's craziness, you know? How you doing? How's your day going? Allow the spirit to begin to work and move. Maybe take an extra $20 in the next two weeks, get it out in cash, put it in your pocket and say, God, I just wanna give this to somebody that you would put in place. And I'm gonna begin praying that you're gonna put someone in my life that could use this extra $20. I think it was two years ago, Amber came home from Walmart and was getting the kids all their school supplies and she had all of her, the kids with her. Wyatt was like one at the time, Eileen's three, I'm here at work. And she's telling me this in tears because 
some lady that was in front of her in the line just said, you know, I just want to bless you today and insisted on giving her $20 to help buy with the school supplies. Now we could buy the school supplies. We'd budgeted it and we were ready to do that. And Amber argued with her to the death. Like, we don't need this. We're fine. Go give it to somebody else. Like, it's, it's hard to receive it, isn't it? But it touched her heart with the love of God that someone would take the time to, to care about them. Maybe, maybe you are at Walmart and you see somebody with several kids and they're piling stuff in there and the Holy Spirit just puts on your heart and your mind to, to bless them. And maybe instead of driving past the, the homeless person to say, hey, you know what, let's, let's go over here. Let me buy you a meal. You know, let's sit down and we'll, let's have a, have a taco together. That's a very simple step of faith, isn't it? But allow the Lord to start to move us in those actions of faith. Maybe you're getting groceries and you, you have a friend where you know that they're in a very difficult situation. Do a holy ding-dong ditch. You ever do an unholy ding-dong ditch when you were growing up? I did. But so what do you, what's a holy ding-dong ditch? You buy some extra groceries, you go put it on their doorstep, you ring the doorbell and you run and they never know who left all those groceries. Like everybody can use more peanut butter. Who doesn't eat peanut butter, right? Everybody can use more cold cereal. Who, who doesn't need milk and eggs? You know they're hurting. An opportunity just to be able to, to bless them. But take those actions of faith. Use that sword and that weapon that was given. And then I think there's a warning for us again in the life of Saul. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you that you would save us and that you would want to use us. We have a simple prayer this morning that you would make us more like Jonathan and that we would take steps of faith and understanding that nothing can restrain you. May we go away encouraged this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.